Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette Recaps with Peter Sagal. I'm Greta Johnson. I'm Trisha Bobita, and we are joined by, drumroll please, <laughs> snares, patriotic <laughs> swells of music, Peter Sagal. Hey, how are you? And I want you to know, not only am I just like Jeff Goldblum in this movie, I look like him too. <laughs> hmm. Peter, the video is on the Zoom's call. I hate to Damn say it, it but... <laughs> So today we are recapping Independence Day, which is essentially more or less a 1996 propaganda film about how America reacts when aliens attack. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. <laughs> Showing your cards early, Miss Johnson. I thought we'd have to wait at least 30 or 40 seconds to find out how much you loathed it. But no, you opened with that. All right. I don't know. I thought it would be fun to just like start dirty and see what happens. <laughs> just lay, lay it out. Lay it out. Absolutely. We're going to play that. We're going to play this hand open handed where everybody knows where everybody's cards are. This is awesome. Okay. So Trisha, you have seen this movie a great many times, right? What is your relationship to Independence Day? I don't remember the exact first time I watched it, but probably pretty early on into its VHS life at my local video store. (laughs) And uh, yeah, this is one of those movies where like if I caught it halfway through on TV, I would usually sit down and watch the rest of it. And I have to be honest, like, yeah, there are some problematic things about it. And it's a very silly movie in many ways. But I really like it. And like right now in this moment, I kind of needed a win. And I got one watching it last (laughs) night. And I'm feeling pretty grateful for the win that I got. USA! USA! (laughs) So, Peter, I'm also very curious to hear what you think of it. But, Trisha, what you said just actually reminded me of a voicemail we got from Austin. So let's listen to that, and then Peter will go to you. Hey, Nerdette. It's your old friend Austin. Just wanted to let you know about Jeff Goldblum saying, must go faster in Independence Day. That was a reuse of his clip of him saying that from Jurassic Park. What? Also, Independence Day is one of those movies that's not really that good, but if you're flipping through the channels and it's on, you, you're you legally bound to finish watching it. See, Austin knows that you <laughs> yes. are legally bound to watch yes. it if it's on TV. Tr- Trisha just nodded her head so fast at that there was a motion blur. It was like... <laughs> the internet couldn't keep up with the Zoom exactly. video. Exactly. So, Peter, do you remember when you first saw Independence Day? Y- yes. Unlike last week when I literally couldn't remember the first time I saw Clueless, I have very vivid memories. It was the summer of 1996. I was at the O'Neill Playwrights Conference, where I was there as a playwright, and all of us, all of us playwrights and associate people, we all got in our cars and we all drove out and we saw the movie on the day that it takes place. That was one of its gimmicks. The only other movie Ah. I could think of that had the same gimmick was Friday the 13th. But the movie is set in July 2nd, 3rd, and 4th, and we saw it on like the night it opened, which was, I think, depending on where you were in the country, July 2nd or July 3rd. So we all went out to see this movie. And this is something that I had forgotten until I started reading about it after I watched it again the other night, which is this movie had one of the biggest, most elaborate buildups and marketing campaigns that Hollywood had seen in years. Everybody was so excited about this movie. And according at least to the articles I read that look back on this, the thing that made everybody really excited to see the movie 
was the shot of the White, the White House, House blowing exploding. up. <laughs> People were like, oh, I want to see that. And so I, I invite you listeners in 2020 to come back with us to a different time when a special effect shot of the White House being blown up real good could pack millions of people into the theaters. <laughs> well, and one thing I learned in my reading about Independence Day is that that's not CGI. One thing that makes Independence Day stand out is that it's actually, it uses pretty minimal CGI still. And so that was a model that was one-twelfth the size of the actual White House that took like a week to build and then they blew it up. Yes, and you, and you kind of have to appreciate that. Apparently this movie, I read some of the same articles, I guess, set the record for most models used in a motion picture that will never be surpassed because soon after this, everything started moving to CGI. Do you so, think anyone has the models in their house still and let like their kids use them as dollhouses and to like play Lego with? That's a good question. They built apparently so many thousands of models of buildings and streetscapes and planes and they didn't all get blown up. So a presumably lot of them somebody did out get there, blown up. a lot of them did get blown up. Uh, apparently somebody must have like a, a model of like one of the fighter fighters or, or spaceships or something lying around. That would be cool. So I don't think I saw this movie in the theater, but I feel like I saw it pretty much shortly thereafter. And I attribute the fact that I saw it to the fact that I have a brother who's two and a half younger, years younger than I am. Yes. Um, because this is definitely a younger brother. This movie. is definitely a like I saw this because I have a younger brother movie for me. Um, and it was funny mentioning it to him earlier this week because he said that uh, Independence Day is arguably the best film of all time. And, <laughs> how old uh, is he now or how old was he when he said that? He, how old is he? He's 33. A 33-year-old yeah. man 33 thinks year that old Independence man. Day is the best well, movie of all time. arguably the best movie. Arguably. When I, when I asked him to make that argument in a voicemail, he refused. So that makes me question <laughs> the statement. Somebody could argue it. I'm not <laughs> exactly, going to do it, but yeah. somebody he, could argue it. He really hedged on that adverb use in there. So I don't know. You do with that. Well, and I wonder will. when the last time he saw it was. Because again, <laughs> like seeing this movie when you're 12 is much more oh, awesome. And you don't pick totally. up on the problematic parts. Yeah. And it's, you know, and he's, you know, he's a veteran and other things, if it's okay to say that, yeah, totally. that like, there is some cool, he digs patriotism. You know, like, yeah. pa patriotism oh, yeah. stuff happening here. And, you know, people um, standing up to the system within the system, too, that I think is useful and interesting. Like, it's not like the, the military leaders know what to do and have all the best ideas kind of patriotic war movie. Right. It's the MIT cable repair guy who saves the day. <laughs> Well, and the like drunk sharecropper with or dust cropper with PTSD. Let's be real. Yeah, crop duster, I believe. Crop duster. Is. What did I say? Dust yeah. cropper. <laughs> yeah, it also. Uh, I, I guess we'll just get this out of the way early. Uh, there are a lot of things that have changed since the time it was made. Some things that haven't. But one of the things that definitely has changed my view of the movie is seeing Randy Quaid play a crazy person. Mm -hmm. Now that he mm -hmm. has actually become a deeply crazy person, is a little tough to watch. I mean, he yeah. is, I don't know if people follow the whole Randy Quaid saga, but he has gone so far around the bend that he's almost come back the other side. It's rather scary and sad. Mm. Thought I'd start us off with that little note of cheer. <laughs> well, that's delightful. Mm. It was funny because, you know, I don't think I've seen this movie since it came out, more or less. And the minute he gets out of the airplane and he's drinking and kind of stumbling around, I was like, that guy's going to save the day, isn't he? Like, we're yeah. working with that <laughs> level of toxic masculinity in this film, aren't we? And there we were. It happened. Trisha, has your feelings about the movie changed uh, since the first time you saw it and through your repeated viewings? You I mean, still love sure, it. Sure, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I 
yeah, I have a soft spot for it. I think the racial politics of it and the sort of uh, America American focus on it is is problematic. There's a lot of like really over the top um, sort of tokenizing of like what another culture might look yeah, like. Yeah, those those uh, scenes are in those rough. shots and all that. Um, and yeah, and the fact that you know the basically the two leads are stereotypes of like white intellectualism and black male sort of um, bravado, like or courage yeah. and athleticism yeah. as the two sort of things that they each bring to the table is sure super problematic um but it's also a movie in 1996 that when i watched it i thought was kind of a cool movie like the first shot where they're showing the scale of how big the spaceship is by use by showing us a satellite sort of slowly moving towards it and then how small the satellite looks when it blows up against the sort of hull of that giant ship that's some quality sci-fi filmmaking right there. Like, that's kind of fun. There's things about that that are nerdy that I like. Um, and there are nerds saving the day. It's not just a movie about uh, physical strength. It's about smarts. That's true. I think yes. I think partly what bums me out is that it's not actually a sci-fi movie, though. You know, like, when I think about other really compelling movies about life on not earth and what that could look like and how we might interact if something showed up. I think about a movie like Arrival, which came out just a couple of years ago and which I love. Yeah. Like this is not like these aliens are super fucking boring. You know, like we know nothing about their motivations other than that. They want to just like sap re- natural resources on our planet. There's no like, oh, are they the white walkers of aliens? Yeah, exactly. They have exactly. no motivation. Yeah. It's just like super uninteresting to me as a villain, yeah. especially given the fact that it is a sci-fi, like it's an action movie with aliens yes, more than it is. It's not actually a yeah. sci-fi movie. Right. Yeah. yeah. I thought about arrival a lot yes, when watching it and how so much, much I love better. that movie and how like my 11, 12 year old self watches Independence Day and enjoys it at like the most basic levels and like yeah we win (laughs) and then Arrival is so much more like me in 2020 where it's like I don't know maybe we don't deserve to win (laughs) but it's worth trying no we definitely don't the fact of the matter is and this is this is sort of a rant and I I apologize in advance Everybody quiet, because Peter Sagel's got another goddamn opinion. Um, I, made a, I made a bet to myself. I didn't know. I, I, I made a bet about when the director and writer, co-writer Roland Emmerich, was born. And I was correct. He was born in the mid-50s. And the reason I guessed that is because I don't know if this is true of you two. It might be true of Trisha. I grew up reading and watching a lot of science fiction. Oh, sure. A yeah. lot of it. And there was a generation of filmmakers born in the 50s, who also grew up with that stuff and loved it. Uh, and they, when they got their chance through luck or fortune or skill, whatever, to make their big movies, they recycled the ideas that they loved from that early science fiction. So, for example, uh, the, the, the signature image of Independence Day, this enormous spaceship floating above an American city, is directly taken from a classic work of, I believe it was 1950 science fiction, called Childhood's End by Arthur C. Clarke, in which giant, giant ships appear above all the cities and everybody freaks out. And that mm-hmm. goes in a very different direction. But nonetheless, that image, they grabbed from their memories of what science fiction is, and they threw it into this multi-million dollar movie. Uh, the problem is, is that they didn't really add anything. In fact, they subtracted things, you know? And then another generation of filmmakers who are more or less my age, who were born in the 60s and early 70s, people like J.J. Abrams and people like Joss Whedon, they also grew up with that, but they kind of knew it sucked. <laughs> and what they've been doing quite brilliantly like is they've 
Yeah. yeah they, they understood why those old ideas were either racist or not particularly interesting or could have been done a lot better. And so they've gone on to make really good alien invasion movies like Arrival or really interesting uh, sci- and innovative science fiction like The Matrix, you know, by the Wachowski or Firefly. Or Firefly, oh, exactly. Yeah. And, and these are guys who, who loved that stuff but were also dissatisfied. And mm-hmm. these guys didn't bother with the dissatisfaction. They just recycled a whole bunch of ideas and threw it on the screen with $70 million behind it. Boom! Can I just have a movie that's just Jeff Goldblum and Judd Hirsch, though? Can oh I just have gosh. that whole, like, there's the two and a half hours of the movie, but just following that Judd Hirsch casting the whole time. of oh. his, as, of Judd as Jeff's father, is like exquisite. I, the I, first scene where they're playing chess in the park is just chef's kiss. Yes, <laughs> it is delightful. Hey, do you have any idea how long it takes for those cups to decompose? If you don't move soon, I'm going to start to decompose. Ah. I, I, I think I speak as the only Jew in this room. Mm-hmm. That e- even then and now, I'm like, <laughs> guys, calm down with the Jew thing. Oh, but that line towards the end when they're all like hunkering down and freaked out and there's like a prayer circle happening that Judd Hirsch is leading. He's got his little yarmulke on and, and he invites someone to come over and the dude's like, I'm not Jewish. And he's like, nobody's That's perfect. Right. Like- Recycling a line from a much better movie, which is <laughs> some like it hot. I mean, again, it's like, oh, please, just one original idea. Please, just one, just one little idea. One of the things I found out about this movie is uh, Emmerich and his production partner, a guy named Dean Devlin, had made... Uh, two, I think, big science fiction movies. Again, both of which sort of just stole ideas from classic 50s and 60s mm-hmm. science fiction. <laughs> and they apparently m- came up with this idea on a press tour for Stargate. And then they went on a vacation to Mexico to write it. In four weeks, they wrote the screenplay in four weeks. Mm-hmm. And anybody who's ever written anything knows that if you your first draft is filled with all the dumb ideas you stole... <laughs> from everybody else that's all in your brain and then you got to start rewriting and thinking and trying to make it original they didn't do that part they just sent it to the movie studio and the movie studio greenlit it and three days later they were in pre-production and so that that's what you get you get a bunch of guys who are good at what they do but what they do is they recycle well at least from my perspective as a science fiction fan stale cliches put them in you know zip bang whiz bang setting (laughs) and um and unleash it upon America to great success. It, I've also found out that it was the uh, second highest grossing movie of all time for a while until Titanic came out. Yeah, it cost, it I think third. it was like $75 million to make, and it made at the box office like $815 million. Yeah, and uh, it was hugely wow. successful, and that just sort of annoys me. And I want to say, by the way, that I <laughs> felt this way about it at the time, all of my friends from the Playwrights Festival were like, cool, yeah, oh. bang. And I'm sitting there in the back of the like, theater somewhere really? in Connecticut muttering, that's an idea from Childhood's End by Arthur C. Clarke that was then used by the <laughs> underrated TV miniseries V, which also used the same idea. <laughs> this is why I don't have a lot of friends. Hang on, Peter, you were the only one among your playwright friends who didn't like the movie? I was assuming you were all sitting there just with disdain and butter fingers. It's hard to remember from this um, remove, but I... What I remember vaguely is everybody agreeing it was great, stupid, fun. And I was like, I sort of dissented as to the fun part more than anybody (laughs) else. But nobody actually said, well, this is an interesting exploration of American patriotism and and, and how the world will unite. Nobody, no, nobody was like that. It was like, that was great. Things blew up real good. 
And I'm like, yes, but you don't understand how derivative is. Much better work. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's listen to a voicemail. This is Ethan. Hey, Nerdette. This is Ethan in Savannah, Georgia. I love the movie Independence Day. I love it. But there's one thing that I just cannot get over. It was brought up by my dad at the time. In 1996, you couldn't even get Macs and PCs to talk to each other. But somehow, you're telling me that you got a PC to connect to an alien mainframe (laughs) to upload a virus and save the world. It's a bit much. Just a little bit. Don't you think? Love the show. Okay, bye. Don't you think? Just a little bit? Oh, there's. I did write down on my notes, it's a bit much, several times. <laughs> it's a bit much. Speaking of things that are a bit much, I think we need to listen to Will Smith punching an alien. Shippo bang up! Oh, <laughs> Who's the man? Huh? Who's the man? Wait till I get another plane! I'm lining all your friends up right beside you! Where you at, huh? Huh? Where you at? Ah! Welcome to Earth. (laughs) With the cigar in his mouth. Welcome to Earth. That's what I call a close encounter. Guys, this is one of those movies that like, I was like, yeah, 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 let's recap it. But I also didn't want my 2020 brain to watch it. (laughs) I'm sorry, it's too late. I was watching that scene and we find out later that the aliens are wearing this kind of bio armor, this armature. A biomechanical suit? Yes, exactly. Uh, and by the way, I found out that the reason they're wearing a biomechanical suit is because the production designer had two ideas for the alien design, and Roland Emmerich said, let's use both. They look oh, one way, but they're great. inside the other one, which is a suit. Okay, great. So he's wearing a biomechanical armor of some kind, and with his bare fist, he punches it once somewhere it. in the neighborhood of where you might think its nose is, and it knocks it unconscious Yeah, with his, with his fist. And he doesn't even shake, does he even shake his hand as if, you know, oh, that hurt? No. no. He just punches it once because he's an American and he's Will Smith. <laughs> the other thing I found out, and I didn't remember this because we now think of Will Smith as a big movie star, mm-hmm. is this is the movie that made him a big movie well, star. Well, he had done Bad yeah. Boys before this, which wasn't as huge, but is still like a pretty big franchise in and of itself. Th- th- that's true. But but this is the movie that I think that took him from like, you know, a movie guy to A-list star. Yes. And what's and, interesting and about this everything else he did after that possible. movie too is that like, he doesn't contribute a song to the soundtrack, which, you know, if you think about Men in Black or Wild Wild West, yeah. you know, there's always like the cool Will Smith song that goes along with it. But this soundtrack is like very seriously cinematic. The guy who did the soundtrack, David Arnold, I think his name is. Yeah. He did like all the Bond movies and Godzilla. It's a bunch of like, you know, they're taking themselves Big very sweeping. seriously. It's a lot yeah. of snare drums and horns. It's very pa- patriotic. Oh, speaking of Godzilla, that was... Uh, Emmerich's and Devlin's yes. next movie. Yes. Thus right. uh, cementing my theory that all these guys are capable of doing is taking the movies and stuff they saw as kids and recycling them. <laughs> so I think PJ actually has a pretty nuanced argument about why this movie is good to watch in 2020. Hi, Nerdette. It's PJ from outside of Houston. And I think Independence Day exemplifies the summer blockbuster movies of the 1990s. The plot is full of holes and cliches. The humor, the jokes are problematic. The the women exist just to advance the character arcs of the men. It's filled with 
derivative spectacle and explosions and action sequences and special effects. But at the same time, when I think about watching the movie, it takes me back to the summer of 96 and a night off from working my job at a summer camp in Wellesley, Massachusetts. And a dozen of us went to the movie theater behind the Natick Mall, filled a row and just watched it together. And honestly, right now, life in times of Corona, that's the feeling that I miss about the movies. So thank you for taking me back to the summer of 96. Well, that could have used a little That's stirring nice. soundtrack behind it right there. That was, really, that was, that was sort That's of what nice. I was saying. He, he's looking back with, with more pleasure and nostalgia than on the specific experience than I did. But I've been to the Natick Mall, and I know exactly what he's talking about. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, he's right. And I started talking about that a little earlier, that I guess we've lost that now. Well, certainly we lost it in coronavirus. But I don't even know if we had yeah. that before, because everything's gotten so fragmented and streamable. Mm-hmm. But there used to be these event movies, these tentpole movies, and it almost didn't matter if they were good everybody would get excited yeah. everybody would talk about it would make plans to go see it it would be a thing you'd do with your friends and and hating it was part of the fun i remember the prior year i was at another uh, play festival a theater thing and we all went to see braveheart <laughs> and we all came no and which is a much better movie but we all came out of it <laughs> making fun of braveheart and that's part of the fun going to see these movies because they're terrible but we're all seeing them together and we all get to enjoy how terrible yeah. they are and I really like popcorn. Yeah, yeah. popcorn yeah. is great. And so like an excuse and... to sit in really, really cold yes. air conditioning and eat popcorn yeah. as a kid was just kind of magical. And, and there have been movies like that since. I mean, there's, you know, um, the, the Dark Knight movies and, and The Matrix and so on and so forth. But, the but that really Marvel movies, obviously. But even back then, that, 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 I, think, I think we have, in fact, lost that which is sad. And I think everybody went to see these movies, even if they went to hate them. Yeah. Yeah. That's you know? a fair point. And, you're, and, you're, and, and anybody would say, well, I'm not going to go see Independence Day. I'm above that sort of cinema. I'm like, oh, fuck you. <laughs> We're all going to go see it. And you can rag on it. And it's fun. It's fun to hate it. Let's go all hate it or love it or argue about it together. Yay. So I think we should talk about the casting of this movie. Oh, boy. Because it is a huge cast and it's kind of amazing. Well, why do you say that? Well, I mean... As we talked about Judd Hirsch playing Jeff Goldblum's yes. dad. I think he's incredible. I think the fact that Mary McDonnell plays the first lady who then gets her own presidency when she's in Battlestar Galactica in the remake yes. is awesome. I do like that. Um, I do like that. Al- although you understand the, the, I guess, the resonance of a first lady being killed off in 1996, right? <laughs> there was much yeah. commentary about that at the time, let me tell you, young people. You know, we actually yeah. have... Yeah. The scene of her, the only scene that might pass the Bechdel test. Oh, when she's talking to like Will Smith's girlfriend, who is, of course, a stripper, because that's the only thing that you can be if you're a slightly sexual person in movies at that time. You mean that character? Yeah, let's let's listen to that scene. So what do you do for a living? I'm a dancer. Ballet. (laughs) No. Exotic. Oh. Don't be. I'm not. It's good money. Besides, my baby's worth it. I like that you can hear Boomer panting in that clip. (laughs) The dog. The dog. (laughs) I want you to meet the first lady. I didn't know that you'd recognized me. Well, I didn't want to say nothing. 
I voted for the other guy. I voted for the other for guy. For the other guy. <laughs> I will say the only time I laughed out loud at rewatching it the other night was when the dog leapt into the doorway, oh, escaping the flames. Oh, it was amazing. Boomer. Save was the so dog. Good. Kill millions of people, but save the dog. Boomer. I also am not sure that's how fire works. <laughs> I, I will tell you how sexual politics worked in the um, in the '90s when uh, we decided, as enlightened people, the wisdom of man. the ages wrapped up in the body of a short, bold game show host. Right, in that we're going to have two women in this movie, and one woman is going to be a nice white lady who we're going to kill off mm-hmm. because. Her, as you say, her only purpose is to give emotional resonance to a male character. But we're going to give our other hero an incredibly sexy girlfriend, nothing sexier than being a stripper. Am I right, guys? But we are enlightened. We're not going to make her a trashy stripper. We're going to make her an enlightened stripper because we're going to show a nice, a nice mom, mom stripper. stripper, a stripper who's only doing it for, because she's trying to support her incredibly adorable son. That's how enlightened we are. But of course, we're also going to have a scene in which she's stripping. But mm-hmm. she's not going to take off her top because, as I said, I'm enlightened. That's that's what you get in the 1990s, kids. Yeah, I will. I will uh, on a technicality, not because I'm actually defending the movie, but say that there is a Bechdel test clearing conversation between the stripper Tiffany and ja- and uh, Jasmine. Right. Where Jasmine is trying to convince Tiffany not to go to like the sort of I rally for the aliens that. or whatever, and they just have a conversation as colleagues, about as friends about each other yeah. and the aliens. And so technically, technically, okay. technically. that's great. I've never like met Alison Bechdel, but I imagine if she were here, she'd be narrowing her eyes and going, "Yes, technically, <laughs> it's a low bar. Trisha. It's a low yes. bar. Yeah, yeah." Uh, speaking of strippers, I would just like to recommend Hustlers for anyone who hasn't seen it. Oh, I've heard great. that's really it's quite excellent. good. Yeah. Speaking um, of one of the as we often do <laughs> around I never here. thought I'd hear. <laughs> say. One of the other casting choices that I would not have made like found at all remarkable in '96, but which blew my mind now is that Mae Whitman plays the daughter of the president. And who, I don't know who yeah. Mae Whitman. Is. You did you see Arrested Development, Peter? I did. She's Anne Veal. She's the one who they're always like her. No, really? <laughs> yeah, oh, she was in Parenthood. I had no idea. Yeah, no, she's like, you can see it because in the scene when she asks if her mom is asleep, her eyes get really big and kind of take over her face with this intense emotion. And then you're like, oh, there's the May Whitman I know from Parenthood. But yeah, it was, it's like, you know, she's tiny. She's probably six. Yeah. But that's her. Oh, yeah. She's still seven. acting now. That's that's amazing. Yeah. I, I will also point out uh, this is a movie with a body count in the tens of millions. Who even knows? And yeah. there is no no gore, no blood, that's no true. evidence. That's even true. even poor um, uh, you know the first lady. Even her death is like a is like a movie death from the thirties. It is. <laughs> it's like a little. She women. lies there. It's She's like her makeup and hair are still perfect. <laughs> She doesn't have any tubes or anything. There's no medical equipment. No, the bleeding's all inside. All <laughs> the inside. bleeding's all inside, and they can do anything for her. And she just goes, ah. <laughs> "That's it. That's, That's death. That's true." I had to rewind it. I was like, "Wait, did she just die? Was that it?" She did. Yeah. Uh, uh. Another thing that completely astonished me. Do y'all know who Andrew Keegan is? Nope. Oh yeah. Not. So I had yep. like a very intense crush on Andrew Keegan in early you know like back in the day when you had those magazines with like the full just like tiger beat. boys faces yeah exactly tiger beat and stuff i thought andrew keegan was just the bee's knees he is in this movie did you spot him trisha 
Oh yeah, because he is um, trying to get one of the <laughs> girls in the movie to lose her virginity. Because if we're all gonna die, yeah. come on. Yeah, it's like, but the world's gonna end. You really want to die a virgin? It's just like, oh good lord. It's like yeah. the he's he's people might remember him uh, from Ten Things I Hate About You. Yes, he's the one who's the sort of like dreamy Dumbo in Ten Things I Hate About You. Who yeah, he's kind of the Elton know, character, yeah, if you will. Yeah, he's in yeah. Camp Nowhere too, actually. Mm-hmm. Speaking of excellent movies of the nineties, <laughs> for someone who hasn't seen a lot of movies, you're certainly mentioning a lot of movies I've never seen. <laughs> well, I think Peter, it's fair to say that we have seen very different movies. <laughs> that, I think goes without saying. <laughs> More on this shit show of a movie in just a minute. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Hey, Trisha, Greta, and Peter. This is Elizabeth in Tucson, Arizona. Just thinking back to the first time I saw Independence Day, I did see it in the theaters on opening day in 1996. I was 12 years old, and my most vivid memory of that day was the absolute terror I felt in my core because I couldn't separate fantasy from reality at that point in my life. And I truly believed that the things I was seeing on screen might be happening outside the movie theater or might eventually happen outside the movie theater. And it was this very surreal experience of seeing on screen July 3rd and then thinking, oh my gosh, it's July 3rd. Are these two things like synchronous? It was just... It was really hard and um, definitely terrified me in a very real way. But over the years, having seen it probably once a year since then, it's such a funny movie. It is so good. It's so well written. The characters are fantastic. I love Bill Pullman and the rousing speech he gives. I love Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum strutting out of the desert with their cigars Everything about it is great, and I can't wait to hear what you guys have to say about it. Thanks. I'm oh, glad Liz. she resolved her trauma through just like rewatching it over and over. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm from a... Tucson, Arizona. <laughs> as I throw a little "What We Do in the Shadows" reference in there for folks. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm sorry, Liz, that we've been hating so hard on this movie you love so much, but that is what we do. <laughs> That's kind of what we do. My, my response to your voicemail went from sort of sympathy to that 12 year old child experiencing that m- m- must have been real terror to absolute incredulity as she went on to praise the writing and the characters. <laughs> I mean, there are some funny moments. I will give it that. There are some funny moments. And there like, are a couple of some intentionally funny moments. We should even go so far as to say. And I think they did. I don't know. I thought the touch with uh, Will Smith's character trying to get into NASA was interesting. And it like it had a nice payoff then when he does get to the sh- go into outer space and he's like, I've always wanted to do this. You know, like right. there are a couple yeah. of nice storytelling moments that I think they do pull off. My main question is why on earth this movie needed to be two hours and 33 minutes long. <laughs> Which I saw you say on Twitter. Yeah, (laughs) well, and and like I've been thinking about it a lot actually since then, maybe unsurprisingly. 
And it has made me wonder, and I kind of want to put this question like out to our listeners also, are the best movies always under two hours? I don't think so. Because I don't know. I just keep looking up excellent movies and they're like an hour and a half to two hours long generally. I mean, I think about even Clueless, 97 minutes. It's like, keep it tight, y'all. Arrival is one hour and 59 minutes. Looked it up. I don't as know. Again, it's earlier. a pandemic. I ain't got nothing else to do but watch <laughs> yeah. this movie. No, I think oh. a movie a movie should be as long as it's supposed to be long. I mean, I I really liked The Irishman, which is three hours oh long, and I thought it was justified its time. <laughs> You're the only person who liked The Irishman. <laughs> I think me and Martin Scorsese. I think we both liked <laughs> The Irishman a lot. Yeah, I mean, you know, Lord of the Rings movies are definitely longer than that. Right? Do they need to be? Uh, yeah, you know, well, yeah. like they could have been longer, as those of us who sat through the, the deleted scenes yeah. remember. I don't know. Like, I just think it, there's something so perfect about a movie where, like, you finish it and you wish you had a little more, but it's it like it is complete in and of itself, and it's it's not flabby. It doesn't have any extra stuff that you could have cut. You know, there, there's actually uh, one of the reasons it's so long. It relates to something that you brought up, which is Will Smith's, like, when we meet him, we find out that he's applied to be an astronaut and he's been turned down because all he's ever dreamed of, despite the fact that he's a hotshot marine fighter pilot, which is pretty cool, is he wants to be an astronaut. Okay. And then in the end of the movie, he gets to go to space. That kind of desire and resolution of desire is set up for all the major characters. And there's a lot of them. Yeah. And there's a lot of them. Jeff Bloom, uh, Jeff Goldblum, excuse me, wants to reconcile with his ex-wife, which is also something I have some thoughts on. <laughs> um, the president, you know, everybody thinks the president is kind of young and callow and he's not fit to lead. But as we find out the fourth time, he, refer- he references his fact that he used to be a fighter pilot, that he gets to go back and be a fighter pilot. Mr. President, I'd sure like to know what you're doing. I'm a combat pilot, Will. I belong in the air. Randy Quaid and his not only is he going to get vengeance on the aliens for the alleged abduction but he's going to prove himself to his children who think of him just as a drunk even I guess the stripper gets a thing because she gets what is her name can we can we Jasmine Jasmine okay thank you uh, so we and, won't play a that, jingle on you for that one, Peter. But call her Jasmine next time. Uh, okay. And that was so much part of the, like the formula of big movie making. Yeah. It's not enough to save the world. Everybody has to grow as a person, or get something, or or or, or complete a story arc. And it's so annoying. The world is in peril. We don't care about these people's ex-marriages. I am going to disagree with you, Peter, and say the problem isn't that we have a bunch of different characters who need storylines resolved. The problem is the fucking airplane fight bullshit, which you could cut at least 20 minutes from this movie if you just got rid of like the dudes in planes yelling at each other and exploding things. You understand the dudes in planes yelling at each other and exploding things was the entire reason the movie got made and everybody went to see it, right? <laughs> but, like, there's still enough I love action. that quiet little movie, Independence Day, where they oh, yes. are just in rooms, well-lit rooms, talking about how to take down the aliens. That reminds me of going with my uh, a good family friend, took me to see one of the, the later Star Wars movies. Not the, like, most recent batch, but the prequels. He fell asleep for a chunk of the movie and slept through like the major lightsaber battle and afterwards was like, I don't know if that was a very good Star Wars movie. It didn't even have a big lightsaber battle. <laughs> and I was like, what are you talking about? But like, that's what all the stuff in the air and the shooting and the lasers and the, you know, I like that stuff too. I, 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 want, I want a nice mixture of both. But yeah, that's what made the movie so long. What's so annoying about all of it is it's all of it is so unearned. Uh, I mean, like, let's compare it to one of my very favorite 
if not the favorite alien invasion movie, which is Steven Spielberg's War of the Worlds, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And War of the Worlds, is his version with Tom Cruise, is very much focused on one character's growth as a human being. That's the gimmick of the movie. We're going to see all these enormous events through one person's experience. But the reason that movie works is because when we meet Tom Cruise, he's a terrible person, that character. He's selfish. He doesn't care enough about his children to actually understand them. He only thinks of himself. And by the end of the movie... Uh, in a very science fiction-y kind of way, he as he has changed. He has transformed himself. And that is compelling, right? As yeah. opposed to this movie where the character arcs, I'm making air quotes, is all about people finding out how wonderful they really were all along. <laughs> like Jeff Goldblum. Oh, my God. His wife was so... His wife apparently left him because he wasn't ambitious enough. His father doesn't think he's ambitious enough. And, and she, he, he just couldn't earn her love. She went on to like hang out with somebody who was a go-getter and became the president of the United States. And you know what? It turns out that that nerd saved the earth with his amazing skills. <laughs> and by doing that, all of a sudden, his ex-wife is there on his arm again. Isn't that wonderful for him? Now he gets ambitious. You can hear my displeasure. I think also there's like a... Just the complete lack of nuance around the alien stuff I found really obnoxious. You like, think? let's listen to when we find out what. So we do learn what the alien motivation is, and it's in this scene, right? And then we find out what the strategy is going to be for dealing with the aliens. I feel like I might be able to recite this Bill Pullman explanation without the clip, but let's use the clip. <laughs> I actually would much prefer to hear Trisha do it, but okay. Let's let's start, Trisha. If you can go along with it, just talk over. All right, it. all right. I'm going to try to talk over it. We'll see how well it goes. I saw what they're planning to do. <laughs> they're like locusts. They're like locusts. They're moving, moving from, planet from planet to planet, planet, planet destroying every consumable resource. After they've consumed every natural resource, they move on. And we're next. And we're next. <laughs> Nuke them. Nuke them all. It was pretty close. Bastards. They're not bad. You, were, you, were, you got the main beats, I think. <sighs> yeah, yeah. Has anybody paused to think that doesn't make any sense? You're an alien civilization so incredibly advanced that you can build a spaceship quarter the size of a moon. You can have these destroyers, I think they're called in the publicity about the movie, 15 miles wide. And you have the technology that they can just float with no apparent expenditure of energy, just floating there. You can do all this and you have to come to Earth to get what? Wheat? Sheep? Yeah. Wood? Not is this a game of, of settlers of time? You don't, <laughs> they don't need this stuff. If they they can mine an asteroid if they want natural resources. It doesn't make any sense. Also, Nothing like, makes any sense. Y'all aren't even gonna do a metaphor about how human beings are already doing that anyway? No? Jeff You're, Goldblum I, does. Yeah, Jeff, that's actually, yeah. Sort of. Whole... I mean, he says, like, we have to destroy the planet like we have been, and then maybe they won't want it anymore because, you know, he's the recycle guy. <laughs> oh, right. I, right. <laughs> the recycling. That was a kind of a cute scene. Can I also just point out that one thing that this movie, which is, as you said, making no sense in any ways, <laughs> I just kept thinking, <laughs> like, the, the way that time is moving... Jeff Goldblum was pretty drunk. <laughs> and then he's somebody who gets airsick anyway. And you want to tell me that being that hungover and flying in space, he's just fine when he couldn't handle Air Force One sober? The, you make a good point. That's a very uh, good point. There's another thing I didn't notice. There's so many more things to complain about in this movie. So Jeff Goldblum, <laughs> in the morning of the day the spaceships arrive, um, 
he's he's the only person on Earth, this guy who works for a cable TV company, to figure out that the aliens are sending a signal around the Earth to communicate with each other to coordinate the moment they attack. Mm-hmm. He says, mm-hmm. here's a six-hour clock. Mm-hmm. In six hours, we get to zero, and then it will begin. Time's up, as he says later in the movie. He discovers that in the morning. When the aliens attack, it's night. Not only is it night, he's in New York in the morning. It's night in L.A., oh. right? So a six-hour span, a six-hour countdown somehow got us from morning in New York to after dark in L.A. in July, which is like 10 p.m. <laughs> How does that work, Mr. Well, Goldblum? But the, but the blue light of the alien ship sort of like laser beam looks cooler at night, Peter. Exactly. Oh, yeah, it they, looks way cooler. The, the sight of the spaceships coming out of those cool clouds looks better in the day, mm-hmm. and the big beam blowing everything up looks better at night. Thus the, although they couldn't they have at least said it's a 15 hour countdown problem solved 15 hours that's like we don't need to let's worry about it tomorrow then we're fine exactly let's get a good that night sounds of sleep too long. make it six and then we'll but Mr. Discuss. Emmerich if it's six hours it won't be night by the shut up it's six go <laughs> so the last thing on my list to discuss is the president's speech oh Are my gosh which other... which I found out that the BBC called the most jaw-droppingly pompous soliloquy ever delivered in a mainstream Hollywood movie. So you found the Independence Day wiki page as well, I see. I did! <laughs> there was a moment where our producer Justin just pitched reading from that the entire time. Because it is a pretty exhaustive website. It really is great. God, sometimes it's good to be living in the future. Most of the times it's not, but sometimes it is. Uh, so, Trisha, do you have that speech memorized? You were almost off book last time. Perhaps... Fate that today is the Fourth of July, July. and you will once again be fighting fighting for our our independence, not from tyranny, tyranny or persecution, persecution. (laughs) but from annihilation. But from annihilation, (laughs) we're fighting for our right to right to live, to exist, and should we win the day, win the day. The 4th of July, Fourth of July will, no will no longer be known as an American holiday. But as the day when the, the, day world, when the world declared, declared one with voice, one voice, we will not, we will go, not quietly go quietly into the, into the night. We will not, we will not vanish without a fight. <laughs> We're going to survive. <laughs> We're going to survive. <laughs> Today is our, our Independence Day. day. It's really hard on the throat. It really is, isn't it? <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, that was that was perhaps the most enjoyable thing I've ever seen. <laughs> the uh, the gravel in his voice throughout that whole movie just kept reminding me because I just watched The Princess Bride with my nephews for the oh, first time not oh long ago. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. And there's that scene where the, the sort of Quasimodo-esque character who works in the torture chamber yes. with them goes like, you're in the pit of despair. <laughs> and then he goes... <clears throat> The pit of despair, <laughs> which is such a good joke about like the serious gravity voice. Um, I, I, a, yeah. a little bit about Bill Pullman. Bill Pullman, who I think I mentioned, I knew uh, I oh, was friendly yeah. with him. Um, what happened? In, well, long story. No, we. I left L.A. and he he went on to do his things. Bill Pullman was in for a moment in the '90s, like th- what people talked about. He talked about it like the next Jimmy Stewart. He was sure. going to be what Tom Hanks was then and still is well, and which is with this movie even he was just coming off while you were sleeping in 95 right which when you know. he was which i think was his first romantic lead and and then he became this movie and 
The thing about Bill Pullman, though, and I say this as someone who both knew him and liked him and admired him as an actor, is he's not really good at playing good people. He's, mm. he's much better at playing flawed or even villainous people, as mm. he did in that movie with Ellen DeGeneres, Mr. Right, I think, Mr. Wrong, I think it's called, in which he plays a guy who, turn, who seems he's wonderful and he turns out to be a psychopath in a funny way. That's his strength. He's great at playing slightly sketchy people. And, the and fact reporters that, who help newsies. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, and I, I, if, if he had played those kinds of roles as opposed to trying to be uh, the big leading man that they tried to make him to be because of his good looks and his great hair, I think he would have uh, had a better career. And I say this as somebody who knows him and personally likes him. I would also say that I watched this movie on Amazon Prime and there's this like pop-up video type thing with trivia yeah. and like pictures of the cast that, that happens if you scroll to one side. Oh. And the most current picture of Bill Pullman that's in there, he has a wild and delightful beard. <laughs> that, and I would just encourage people to seek out the photos of Bill Pullman with his wild and delightful okay. beard. That might have been, I can't say because I'm not looking at it, that might have been a shot from the incredibly bad sequel they made to this movie that just came out oh, yeah. two or three years ago. 2016, it, I believe. Yeah, in which, oh yeah, that was, it seems like, oh, that was a long time ago. It was ago. a million years ago. In, in which uh, the, the aliens come back 20 years later and uh, he as the former president, whatever his last name was, uh, has kind Whitmore. of... Go- Whitmore. President Whitmore. President Whitmore has gone mad. Have you seen the sequel, Peter? Yeah, I, I was. I, I can't remember why. I think it was like on some streaming service yes. that I subscribed to. You're and saying so I you said, did. Well, I saw the original. I'll see the sequel. And the sequel is even dumber. And <laughs> But the idea, he, when you meet him, he's got this crazy beard and he's kind of gone insane because he can't stop thinking about the aliens that he had to fight. Huh. And he's been kind of shunted off to the side of the American politics because, oh, yeah, old President Whitmore, he never really got over that war. He's got PTSD from fighting the aliens. So the beard might have been. Kind of like the Randy Quaid thing, really. Kind of like the Randy Quaid thing, yeah. You know, PTSD I mean, from you, the aliens. you could set a movie in the world of this movie that's actually really oh, totally. interesting and fun, which is like, what now? Yeah. Yeah, like this movie ends, movie. and then you just go, "Wait, what now?" Mm-hmm. Well, the, the 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 interesting things about the sequel, which I can't even remember, is like Independence Day Resurrection or something like that. Independence Day colon too independent today. <laughs> yeah, something Tokyo like that. Drift <laughs> to win. The point I was trying to make is that the idea is, oh yes, we, they've been rebuilding. There's a rebuilt capital, and that humans have been able to adapt technology from the crashed alien ships, and now they've got like hovercraft and things that float with no visible means of propulsion, and that's pretty cool. And then everything goes to hell. Huh, so there was a thing you liked about the Independence Day sequel. Yeah, at least I thought about, well, what would uh, what would the Earth look like 20 years after the events okay. of Independence Day? And yeah. somebody put some thought into it, which I thought was, I appreciated. But otherwise, it's just awful. I want to go back <laughs> to the president's speech because okay. we got a pretty amazing voicemail from Devin about it. Hi, Nerdettes. Uh, this is Devin. I'm in Chicago. I am so excited that you're reviewing Independence Day. I'm a Shakespeare professor, and my single favorite lesson to teach is to watch the awesome scene where the president gives that speech where he stands up and does the whole, this is our Independence Day speech, and compare that to the St. Crispin's Day speech from Shakespeare's Henry V. They're exactly the same. It's so much fun to analyze. You wonderful nerdettes and Peter absolutely must talk about this on your show. Did you all know that? Yes. I am perfectly willing to take up this challenge. The speech in Independence Day is nothing like the St. Crispin's Day speech at all, at all, in any way, in that the St. Crispin's speech is good and the Independence Day speech is 
bad. Well, I mean, thank you very much. They're similar in that both of them are like, we're about to get fucked, but we got to do our best, right? Yes. And like, yes. this we, is a losing battle, and together. I know it's very scary, but like, we're gonna have to like, you know, in twenty years, you can say you got these scars from this battle, and that's gonna yes. be cool. We shall strip our sleeves and show our scars and say, I was there. Oh, good. You know it. We have Kenneth I... doing it. Should we? Let's listen to some. Oh, of... please. <laughs> You can no. You actually, can do I'm, the same I'm genuinely thing. excited to hear Kenneth Branagh do the speech because he does it pretty well. We few, we happy. This is Gilderoy Lockhart. We band <laughs> of brothers. For he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother. Be he ne'er so vile, this day shall gentle his condition. And gentlemen in England now abed shall think themselves accursed they were not here. And hold their manhoods cheap, whilst any speaks that thought with us upon St. Crispin's Day. The music swells. That's a good speech. Oh, the music in that movie is astonishingly good. Well, and and, uh, and to be clear, that the scene is actually five minutes long, but we decided yes. not to. You pull took the, you took the best part. Yeah, took, yeah. We, we, that's the last thirty-five seconds. By the way, the best I've ever seen that speech done is actually by Mark Rylance in a production they did at the Globe Theater in London. It used to be on YouTube, and I don't, I can't find it anymore, but it brings chills. It causes me chills. It brings tears to my eyes. It brings goosebumps to my legs. I don't remember. It's great. Mark Rylance. See if you can find it. <laughs> but, I mean, that speech, and there are, there are actually two of them. There's that one from Henry V, and then there's Once More Into the Breach, Dear Friends, Once More Into the Breach, are like the whole model for the everything from the, the, the general speaking to the soldiers before the battle to the coach speaking to the um, players at halftime. Braveheart, you know, they're all trying to do the St. Christmas Day speech. Once more into the breach. You know, and, yeah. and sometimes they come close. Like the Braveheart speech isn't bad. My favorite one from science fiction is actually from my, one of my very favorite science, terrible science fiction movies, which is Pacific Rim. <laughs> where Idris Elba as General Pentecost, <laughs> oh boy. that being his name, gives his speech. Today we postpone... The apocalypse. I love that. <laughs> that is an amazing <laughs> sentence. It's great. <laughs> that's a really, that's 2020 in a nutshell. It really is. Just postponing the apocalypse. It is interesting. This is my first apocalypse movie that I've seen while in a current apocalypse. And it, yes, it was that, pretty That's actually meta. kind of, it's been weird to watch zombie movies and, uh, and that yeah. sort of thing. I mean, I don't know. I just saw, I just saw Jaws at a drive-in. Really? Within the last yes. few weeks. And the coronavirus metaphor that is, close the beaches, there's a danger. No, the economy needs yeah, us yeah, here, yeah. is a little <laughs> the on the nose, unintentionally. Yeah. The swimmers are fine. Everyone will be fine. Can't see the shark. The shark isn't real. Uh, I, I want to point out that in Jaws 2, which I've never actually seen, the mayor is actually re-elected. Same mayor. So, yeah, voting, yeah. voting counts. Right. Yeah, the meme about why you vote. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The mayor from Jaws is still in Jaws 2. <laughs> it's real good. <laughs> so let me ask you guys a question because I know we got to wrap up. Yeah. Uh, if somebody says, "Hey, Greta. Hey, Trisha. I want to watch a movie. I want something fun. I want something enjoyable. We're all in a kind of a hard time right now. Something that'll cheer me up and distract me. Would you recommend Independence Day to that person had they not seen it? Zero percent. Zero percent. Well, Trisha. maybe like twelve percent. I think that, as some of the people in the voicemail said, if this is a movie you have nostalgia for. Not just because of the movie itself, but because of being 12 years old and sitting next to your friends and eating popcorn and it being kind of a fun July afternoon. 
then yes. If you've never seen it and you're an adult in 2020, I don't think you can enjoy it the same way. Like, I don't, it sounds like the, neither of you were struck by, like, sort of like uh, involuntary goosebumps at any point in this film based on what was happening in it. I still, like, I still kind of was transported a little bit, even watching it on my laptop in my apartment in 2020. Like, there were moments where I was like, yeah, if we work together, maybe we can solve a problem. And uh, that's real cheesy. But if you felt that way about the movie when you were 12, maybe you'll enjoy it in 2020. If you've never seen it before, I don't think you have that experience. Yeah. Uh, I will say there only because I've been trashing on it and my entire approach is, wow, I hated it at the time, but I hate it much more now for things I've now just noticed. <laughs> there was actually one thing that I noticed, I think for the first time, and I certainly didn't remember it, that I actually kind of liked and admired. And it's a, it's a very short moment, but it's important. So um, Jeff Goldblum and Will Smith have flown the alien spacecraft, which, of course, Will Smith would have no idea actually how to fly, but they've managed to do it, and they've gotten into the spacecraft. Even the aliens of their amazing technology should be able to find out who's in this little spaceship that they haven't seen oh, right, for 40 years that suddenly shows up, and they wouldn't just let it in <laughs> all the way into the center of their spacecraft carrying a nuclear warhead. But allowing all of that, they realize that they are stuck they can't get out. They're, they've been trapped by the whatever it is, the thing that's holding the little fin in the spaceship. And there's a moment where they realize that they're going to have to die, that the only way to save humanity is to fire off that nuclear weapon and yeah. die. And they know it, and they accept it. And it's in a movie in which pretty much no one ever has to face anything that actually poses a threat to them because they're the stars of a 1990s blockbuster it's the only time where people actually make a moment that I could like relate to as a human being, like they're being brave in the face of, in, in face of imminent doom. And I thought that was kind of cool. And then of course, at last 30 seconds, they fire the nuclear weapon. It miraculously breaks the mechanism. They released and they fly out of course and escape as you always knew they would. But I was like, Oh, that's a good moment. It actually, it was also created, I think, because the two best actors in the movie are in that scene, Jeff Goldblum and Will Smith, mm -hmm. who are among their many other talents are, actors who have the amazing ability to take incredibly cheesy material and make it good. I heard they actually improved a lot of those scenes, that scene in particular. I, I'm not surprised if that's the case because they had a lot, it was a genuine charm to a lot mm -hmm. of the stuff yeah. that both of those guys did. Totally. And that's why they're I do stars. love the moment. I love the moment. You think you can fly that thing? You think you can do all that bullshit yes. you just said? Yes. That's another good that's moment. That's a great yeah. moment. And it's a self-aware moment, which is also nice yeah. from an otherwise yeah. unironic, unself-aware movie. Yeah. Well, good. I'm glad. I don't know. I will say just watching the entire film felt like an achievement in and of itself. So <laughs> Congratulations, having, having discussed Greta. it at this length. Also, I feel like we've done really good work today, you guys. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Let's all light a cigar. <laughs> That's not going to go well in this closet. <laughs> Let's light a so I want everybody to imagine Greta, Tricia, and myself walking out of the desert. Huge cloud of smoke behind us in our flight suits, Man, swaggering as we smoke our cigars. Jeff Goldblum's strut in that particular oh, yeah. shot is just peak and exquisite <laughs> Jeff Goldblum. He's amazing. He is amazingly good. And, I, you know, Will Smith is I like, yes, this man is a movie star. Go make mm -hmm. lots of movies. I'll mm -hmm. go watch them. He's great. Okay. So next week we are doing White Men Can't Jump, which I'm looking forward to. I've never seen it. Oh, that's, uh, uh, this is a movie that I saw around the time it came out um, and loved it. Loved it and thought it was in many ways better than the Ron Shelton's prior movie, which, of course, was Bull Durham. Uh, and I'm eager to find out if it holds up. 
especially because it is specifically about race relations. Interesting. Trisha, have you seen it? I think I saw it, but at a young enough age that I was just like, basketball. <laughs> <laughs> and so was that a good it, basketball? Or a, no, no, basketball, yeah. <laughs> what? Oh, just that like we were a very sporty family, and so we watched a lot of sports movies. And so I'm assuming I've seen it, but because I saw it basketball. at a point where I was just like, oh, this is a basketball movie. Like, you know, <laughs> oh, good gravy, the racial problems of like Hoosiers and other things. But also, Dennis, anyway, we should talk about Hoosiers sometime <laughs> and other basketball oh, movies. Oh, God, yeah. But like watching Hoosiers again for the first time, you know, as an adult, I was like, oh, again, I still like because of the music more than anything, get like a lot of feelings near the end of this movie. But oh, boy. Oh, boy. You mean you mean Hoosiers, the movie that took one of the greatest moments for, for black people in Indiana and certainly in sports history and managed to recast it as a victory for the white kids? That movie? It's really, it's a problem. I know. It's a problem. Ooh. But Dennis Hopper is also great. He's as the fabulous. Dead. He's Gene anyway, Hackman is great. So I love, love a movie that centers around sports because I love stakes that aren't real, which is what sports are. And uh, yeah, it'll be fun to watch. Absolutely. All right. If you've got thoughts on white men can't jump, we would love to hear them. Just record yourself on your little smarty phone and then email the file to nerdatrecaps at gmail.com and do it soon because we're recording on Friday morning. Thanks so much to all of you who called in for this episode. Thank you, Austin and Ethan and Liz and PJ and OMG Devin. If there are white men can't jump Shakespeare references, please let us know. The show is produced by me and Justin Bull. Our executive producer is Brendan Banaszak. And our delightful theme music is composed by Andrew Edwards of Blue Police Box Music. See you next week. I, I ended last week with a catchphrase from Clueless. I don't know if I have. Is there a catchphrase in this movie? Nuke the bastards. There you go. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> Nuke the bastards. <laughs> Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.